This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. James. Shannon. Can't find the stove. (laughs) What happened? Can you believe where we are right now? Well, first of all, we are on the Hot Stove Show, so that still exists, but things are a little different today. Things are very different today, and I think we need to take a little time to take a look at it, to get some stuff out, because I think that there is definitely a lot of emotion and feelings tied to this, as there should be. But also, we do have a show planned for you. So I think we're going to have an opportunity to hear from a young player. We're going to have an opportunity for Gary Hill to make us smarter because that's what Gary Hill does. We are going to hear from Dave Wyman, who, believe it or not, has some good baseball history behind him as well. All of that is coming up. But uh, we do need to address what has happened today. And, you know, talk about a roller coaster over the last 24 hours. I don't know about you, but um, I was hanging on every tweet last night Uh, a lot was going on in florida last night yeah and to to be real specific about what's going on right now uh, mlb commissioner rob manfred came out today after the players association and the league had been negotiating on a new collective bargaining agreement to return baseball from the lockout and the league had set today as the deadline day for when they need to come to an agreement in order to have opening day start on time rob manfred came out today and said that they weren't able to come to an agreement and he has canceled the first two series of the season, so effectively the first week of regular season games. Uh, Both sides have said that they're going to start talking again. I guess the league has said they're going to start talking again in New York sometime this week, but um, right now there's no timetable of when this thing is going to get figured out, and uh, it it was hard for me, Shannon, too. I, I was right there riding the wave all night long last night, believing that all along... This was going to get figured out, and they would deal with the hard stuff. They finally started talking about some of the hardest things in the last two days, and I thought that we were trending towards it being done. Yeah, I I think anybody who was following, yesterday was the most significant, and it's funny because in the morning you heard, yeah, there was optimism last night, and in the morning you heard, well, it wasn't quite what it seemed. And you were kind of reminded that in these kind of things... Things aren't always. When you've got two different sides, you can hear two different you know, stories, and sometimes some get out and sometimes others don't get out. And uh, after 16 hours of negotiations, uh, they weren't as close as we thought when we went to bed last night, which is unfortunate. But very significant that they got 16 hours of negotiations in, and I think that's where a lot of the disappointment is because that's the most we've seen. They did more in one day than they had done since the league imposed lockout December 2nd. So uh, where we stand right now, you mentioned Rob Manfred has canceled the first two series of the season. He has said those games will not be made up. And what that means for Mariners fans is the opening, not just opening day, but the opening homestand has been canceled. There will be no series against the Detroit Tigers. There will be no series against the Angels. And in a best-case scenario right now, the Mariners open Thursday, March 7th in Minnesota, would be opening day. The next day is an off day. They build that in for the snow, and then they would have a continue the series over the weekend. So that is what we are hoping for right now. Yeah, I walked in this morning you know, crowing like a rooster, thinking that this thing was done, and I've been following this very closely. I've I, Labor negotiation stuff is really interesting to me. The economics of sports is interesting to me. I followed the NFL lockouts very closely. I followed Labor Peace in in baseball also a little bit more closer than the average fan over the time that I've been in the media and 
the way that this was trending was all relatively to me expected. I I mean, we if you listen to this show, you know that I I've been more bullish on the fact that this is going as planned and as expected. Mm-hmm. And until this morning, I felt the same way and one of the reasons why is out of the sentiment finishing last night, the only sort of news we heard from the people on the ground in the media there was that that was encouraging and they you know, that was positive. We didn't hear the other side. And normally in these kinds of things, you'll hear both sides of sentiment being leaked out to the media. And this last night was the first time I didn't feel like we had the other side of sentiment coming that, hey, this isn't as close as it seems to be. So I came in very excited today and anticipating that we would have a deal. And yet we don't. We don't. And the first thing that came out last night, and these will be things to kind of, uh, I think that we can start talking about because I think that they are going to happen, is, and and this is where you thought, I think this is what got everybody excited, is the first thing that came out late afternoon yesterday was uh, a tweet that this is actually down to the number of playoff teams. And there were two proposals, one that tied the economic proposals to a 12-team pool and the other that tied it to a 14-team pool. And right now, there are only 10 teams that make it into the MLB playoffs. This would be expanding it to 12 or 14, depending on which one both sides felt more comfortable with, right? Right. And uh, the way that you look at this is, this is the player's best bargaining chip. There are a lot of dollars that are tied into the postseason. The more teams, the more dollars. I've been sort of fighting against that whole notion that it's bad for competitive balance to add teams and maybe it's just because i'm a mariners fan if they were that close to the playoffs they would have in my opinion spent more because they were so close right and the prevailing notion from the players association side is that if you add more teams to the playoff picture teams will spend less because it'll be easier to get there i don't see it that way i can respect that opinion that's not how i see it but yes i can totally get behind that 12 team model and To me, that's exciting for a mid-market type team like the Mariners. I think that's a positive thing. I think it would encourage them to be more competitive on a regular basis. This is positive. This is a major step. Right. And as that went on, it sounded like, okay, we've got it. And the players did not want 14, but it looked like 12 was going to be accepted. And that was it. You thought you were there. Just a couple of things to uh, just kind of tie up at that point. Then all of a sudden CBT came back up. And that's what we had been saying all along is going to tie this up. That is going to be the final thing that gets done. For a couple of hours, it felt like, no, I guess that is good. No, it wasn't. So that's where we are right now. Um, Another interesting thing that came up that'll be worth talking about, and, you know, incidentally, this is something we'll have to watch for because um, prior to these two meetings, the MLB players said that they would take expanded playoffs off the table if it was not a 162-game season. And right now we're looking at a 155 game season. So that, you know, as contentious as things are, that might kind of stir things up down the road. That'll be something to keep an eye on. Yeah, and to your point that this last week, this last eight days, was progress towards baseball returning. Although we are today at a place where we haven't been in decades where we're missing games due to lack of labor peace. There was major progress and there were some things that were generally agreed on or gotten to be so close in the gap between what the league wants 
and the Players Association wants. One of those is the increased minimum salary, right? And that's a major thing that the players have been pushing for. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, so uh, the issues that it's all been whittled down to, this has taken a lot of issues that the players wanted addressed off the table, and the MLB has just said no to that, and they will have to wait for another collective bargaining agreement. But the three areas were the CBT. Uh, and the CBT is the luxury tax. It's basically a salary cap in baseball. Right. You can't spend over this. If you do, there's penalties that you have to pay financially uh, as a team that crosses that threshold. Right. And we'll get to that in just one second. Major league minimums, your first three years, you get the major league minimum. They are escalating. There was They wanted raises in that, and rightfully so. <laughs> Uh, and then the last one was something new, a bonus pool for your top club control, your one through three players. And that means if you're making minimum salary, you now have access to making more money if you dramatically outperform what you're expected as a rookie. Right. And, and your young stars are not getting paid right now. And some of them are just putting up, you know, monster numbers. That's how baseball has been forever. This is something that needs to get fixed because they're not necessarily getting paid for that later and they are still under club control for six years. So this is a way to alleviate that a little bit. Where we left off with that in MLB's uh, latest offer, uh, pre-arbitration bonus pool, they offered $30 million. That was up from $5 million. That was up $5 million from what they had offered before. The players initially were looking for $100 million, took it up to 150, 115 with a larger pool of players that would receive it. That's something that hasn't really been talked about since, but $30 million would be $1 million per team basically. So it's not a huge figure when you look at what uh, complete payrolls are for teams. Minimum salary this year, your first year of club control, when you make it to the big leagues, 550000 in a little bit of change. And then it goes up a little bit. These are not drastic gains that you get those first three years. Minimum salary would start at 700000 and go to 740000 over the three years. The players were initially asking for 775000 for the first year. Yeah, and this is, John Morosi had tweeted about this from uh, MLB Network, and he joins Wyman and Bob every week as well. This is a major change. This is a large thing that the league has agreed that they'll do. It's not a small change. It would be, I think, the largest minimum salary increase by percentage in MLB history. So that that is a real thing that they are doing and they have agreed on and it's better for the game it's better for everyone involved so kudos to both sides to be able to come to that moment that leads us to presume one second i want to throw in one thing though they were also the lowest minimum of the three major sports and i'm sorry we're not talking about soccer here but um i don't even think we're talking about hockey is hockey involved in that no no i don't think hockey is baseball football and basketball that is the lowest minimum salary of any of those sports so that is is worth noting right there great point which brings us to the cbt the competitive balance tax 210 million is where it stood last year there were two teams that exceeded it and a handful of teams that say about five teams that were just around the edges and why were they just around the edges they didn't want to go over because of the penalties and so that is how it operates kind of as a, uh, a a salary cap. So owners were offering $220 millions in uh, years one, two, and three, up to 224 in years four, 230, year five, and the players wanted to see that start at 245. Yeah, and this is the part that caught me the most off guard today in this whole thing where I started to say, uh-oh, I've, I've read this wrong. I didn't realize this is this is the line in the sand that the league wanted to draw on this. If they were to sit still at having the same luxury tax threshold, the same essentially salary cap, 
they would be the only major sport outside of hockey to not increase their salaries in a non-pandemic year. Every year in baseball throughout history, they've increased that threshold every single year. In the NFL, in the NBA, it increases every single year, except for the pandemic, it went down in a couple of different sports. This, to me, is unprecedented, and I have a really hard time understanding how they came to this number and, and this solution when there's a lot of revenue streams being added that both sides have agreed on. We're adding revenue streams, and we're not taking away revenue streams. So how how are we not putting in a floor to make sure that people have to spend a certain amount And then we're also not going to raise the cap of how much teams can spend. I'm having a hard time figuring out how that makes sense. Yeah, if you look at the graphs, I mean, the revenues are just up, 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 and the payroll is stagnant and actually falling off a little the last four years. And that, you know, should come into play in this. I think that you would think, well, all of the owners are for this, right? And I'm not so sure about that because... Pretty sure Steve Cohen wants to spend lots of money. Why Why are we stopping Steve Cohen from spending lots of money with the Mets? Hal Steinbrenner, the same thing. The Dodgers, the same thing. Boston Red Sox sometimes are there. The Cubs had to take mm-hmm. a big step back this year, or didn't have to, but chose to take a big step back because they were up against it as well in recent years. So what's holding this up are those teams that aren't spending, which, you know, they're the ones who are, well, we need the balance. Right, And I think that's where a lot of the question has to be. There are also the revenue-sharing teams that are getting dollars from the other clubs and the other deals. And, you know, is there a better way to make those teams more competitive? And you look at that, and there are teams, you know, look at the Tampa Rays, and, and they are right there. Uh, the Oakland A's have been right there. You look at it has been a different team that has won the World Series, I believe, every year the last 12 years. There is something going on there. You know, you don't have the big bad Yankees running away with it all because they are spending all of the dollars. But, you know, in baseball we've heard, and, and you know, they've they've actually gone after some of the teams that have done it. Some of that revenue sharing sometimes goes straight to the pockets, and that's wrong. These are the things that you have to figure out. I'm not sure that there's anything on the table or that's been on the table that's going to address that problem, even if we, you know, get to a deal in the next week, two weeks, couple of months. I'm not sure that that problem really gets fixed based on what's being talked about. There isn't, but one of the overall kind of one of the goals, one of the big aims for the players was anti-tanking. We cannot have tanking teams. And so that kind of is encompassed, I think, in all of this. And, you know, again, we've talked a little bit about this through the weeks and that there is just so much it doesn't get fixed in one collective bargaining agreement. And it's not just because, and, you know, you talk to people and the players have been on the wrong end of this thing the last couple of collective bargaining agreements. I think the owners have clearly been winners. But the game has changed so much that there needs to be a dramatic overhaul in how all of the dollars work. And it's the wrong atmosphere right now because the two sides do not like each other. But you need more of a partnership. You need both sides pulling together for the good of the game, and it should be a win-win situation. There's so many dollars out there that this needs to get figured, but it's going to take a lot more than even what they were trying to do initially with this. So that is where we are right now. We'll get into it a little bit more a little bit later in the show, including a very surprising topic that came up last night that I was encouraged to hear about. We'll get to that as well. But as I mentioned, we have got a full show planned for you tonight. Uh, our hearts are heavy, but we soldier on here. We will we will bring you the show. 
Uh, coming up uh, in just a few minutes, we will hear from Gary Hill, who makes us smarter each week. We are going to hear from Dave Wyman a little bit later in the show. Um, we're going to get to know we've been doing this. It's been a lot of fun. We had another young a young Texan. We've had a lot of young Texans. Yeah, something about that, huh? And once again, we did not ask about barbecue. One of these times, we will get it right. And marching bands. You forgot about that, too. Well, he didn't go to that high school, so I don't know. But he did go to A&M, and man, they've got a band. But that's for a different show. (laughs) Okay, we are going to get to know uh, Bryce Miller coming up next. You are listening to The Hot Stove Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. The Hot Stove Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. So, James, this is a name you may not know, but the more I kind of dug into who he was, this is an interesting story. Bryce Miller, drafted in the fourth round last year out of Texas A&M, would have gone in 2020, but it was just the sixth-round draft, so didn't. Kind of lighten up the radar gun down in Peoria, and we've talked about it. The uh, just kind of slew of impressive arms that are down there. They've got velocity. They've got polished pitches. Pretty impressive that we are kind of even taking this to less than a year ago, and it seems like there's just kind of, um, it's a pipeline. It absolutely is, and it's really exciting to see another wave come through because we've become familiar with this first wave of pitching prospects that are currently in AAA, some of the majors with Logan Gilbert, and now to see another wave come through is pretty exciting. Absolutely, and our latest get to know is with Bryce Miller. Well, Bryce, thanks for taking the time to join us today, and uh, I'll just let you know off the bat, we are very jealous. You are where we would like to be. We would like to be in Peoria among the cactus and the baseball and everything that happens down there. Talk to a couple of guys, though, and it seems like this has been a really good experience to have all of you guys together, a big group down there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's been been a good time. Um, I've been here since January 11th, I believe, so um, I've been fortunate to to be able to to be up here and um, use the facilities and enjoy the good weather. I mean, even being from Texas, seems like it's usually hot, but it's been pretty chilly down there, so I've definitely been fortunate to be up here. When you were growing up, I mean, living that close to Arizona, did you get to go into many spring trainings and see those when you were uh, when you were a kid or see any of those major league facilities? Uh, I, I, made a, I made a trip up here one time in high school, um, somewhere over here in Phoenix. I don't remember exactly where, but it was just a a little summer tournament, so I got got to see what it was like to be in the, the 110. But um, other than that, no, I never I never made it over here. It's I'm from kind of South Texas, so it's it was still about a 15 hour drive to get up here. So it, it's it's a it's a decent little hike, but yeah, I made it over here once, but never never got to see any spring training or anything. Now you're saying there's a difference between Texas heat and Arizona heat? <laughs> oh yeah, there's a big difference. We come with a little bit of humidity over here. It's like you're in an oven. Not not right now though. Right now we're fortunate. It's been a a cool seventy five just about every day. So I've I've been extremely happy with the weather. <laughs> Bryce, can you talk us talk to us a little bit about what it's been like to make that adjustment from college to pro ball and what it's like to be playing with older players and guys who've come through the system in different levels, come forward and back. What is that like for you when you go from playing at Texas A and M to to playing with the Mariners organization? Yeah, it's definitely different. It, it definitely takes some time to get used to. Um, I'd say the best best thing about it is I don't got I don't have to do any school anymore. So, my you know my, everything I do is is centralized around baseball. So, but it's definitely I'd say more hectic just in the fact that you know there's so many more people in the in the organization, so many more names to get to get used to, and um, you know you can wake up one day and be told, hey, you're on a 
going across the country, go throw and then come back. So it's definitely, it's more hectic, but I think it's, uh, it's way more enjoyable just in that I'm able to, you know, develop a routine and I don't have any, I don't have to worry about any exams or any pop quizzes or, or any of that stuff on the side. So, so far it's, it's been a, a great experience and I'm looking forward to doing it, doing it all year. So they didn't have a baseball degree at Texas A&M? <laughs> I wish. I would have majored in it if they did. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, I understand you had a, a couple of teammates that are in the organization. You played alongside Zach Deloach for most of your A&M career. I did, yes, ma'am. I was with him for two years, I believe, and I got I got to play with him up in the Cape as well um, in Falmouth. So, so yeah, I know, I know Deloach pretty well. What happened to him in the Cape? That seems like where he really took off. Oh yeah, yeah. He got up there, and um, I remember he was in the cage, just hitting and, and working on stuff. And I believe he he changed something with his load or, or something. And next thing you know, he's the batting champion of the Cape. So whatever he did, I'm glad he did it. <laughs> I heard you've had some. Um, you've done a little extra. I saw some posts on social media from a bunch of guys, but you're you're getting a lot of personal best. It looks like in the six pack up there. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm you know. They, uh, we have the, the off season thing called gas camp. Um, they actually, they changed it this year and it's, it wasn't called gas camp this year, but it was the pitchers on the camp and, um, they changed the name to shove camp. But for me, I've seen some pretty decent velo jumps. So I, I'll still claim gas camp. Um, but, but yeah, it's been, it's been good. I've, been able to add a little bit of velocity this offseason and hopefully take that into the season and, and and run with it. You've thrown tens of thousands of pitches in your life, I'm going to guess. And what's it like for you now as a professional to see yourself at your age adding miles per hour still on your, on your fastball? What's that like? Uh, I mean, I think just as, as with anything you do, you know, it, it takes a lot of work. Um, a lot of a lot of people don't see what you know what goes on behind the scenes, and I think for me, I really just started pitching my senior year of high school, and I think there's every year that I throw, um, I learn I learn more about about my body and about about pitching, and I just think you know it's just it's just all starting to come together, and I think there's still a long way to go, um, but it's definitely exciting because you know I continue to see growth and continue to see improvement um in all areas pitching and so it's definitely exciting to see you know because i don't nobody knows what what the ceiling is or, or how far i'll go so just excited to you know keep working and, and see what the future holds i heard that you relieved in college and then when you had to go back because the draft was short and you started uh, what are you doing right now or what do you what are you what is your plan right now yes yeah, so my whole well, my first three years of college, I I pretty much closed or relieved, and um, then when I went back, I got got the opportunity to start. I always felt like I I was capable of starting. I just you know I never got to it, and um, so moving forward, <clears throat> they want me to start, and I'm gonna ride that as long as I can, and um, you know help the team out wherever I can. And starter or, or as a bullpen guy, I'm, I'm good with either one, but. As of now, I'll, I'm going to continue starting for as long as they'll let me. Well, it'll be a lot of fun to watch that progression, and, and good to know that kind of the doors are wide open for it 
for for you in that. Hey, thank you again so much for taking time with us today. Yes, ma'am. I appreciate it. This is going to be really interesting to watch his progression because everything that I'm hearing, he's got the velocity, he's got the pitches, and he has not, as we found out here, been a pitcher for long. That's the most exciting part to me. When you get to know somebody's story, you look at their stats, you follow online, and you see through Twitter, you know, this guy's coming through, he's drafted in this spot, the rankings have him here. But when you hear some anecdotal evidence like that of, yeah, I'm still learning, there's there's still more to come for me, and I'm seeing it play out when I try new things and I go through the system. I think it is really encouraging. It'll be fun to watch. And I love the no pressure. It's like, nope, I'm still working on this. I'm getting there. And we also got a lot of mams. There are (laughs) going to be a lot of mams when we get to Arizona, I'm learning. (laughs) Yes, yes. You know what? And you deserve it. You get some respect on your name, as people say these days. So, yeah, I'm, I'm here for that, too. All right. We're also here for what is coming up next. As I mentioned, There was something encouraging and surprising that came out of the talks last night. We're going to get to that. But before that, Gary Hill's going to do something a little bit different. We lost a member of the Mariners family this week. And uh, he is going to not make us smarter, but give us just a a good picture of a special person uh, who we lost from the Mariners family. That coming up next as the Hot Stove Show continues on 710 ESPN Seattle. We are back with the Hot Stove Show, and uh, it was a tough week for the Mariners family. We lost an original Mariner and somebody that I saw every day up in the broadcast booth. Always had a smile on his face, just incredible, incredible, just positivity to him and just a joy anytime you were to encounter him. And uh, you heard that from everybody who did encounter him. Julio Cruz passed away this week. Gary Hill with a special tribute. Well, tonight we will talk about a good friend who we lost too soon. Former Mariner standout second baseman and broadcaster Julio Cruz. Julio Cruz, Juice, the cruiser. He was quite a ball player for the early Mariners. Julio anchored down second base from 1977, the first year of the franchise, until June the 15th of 1983 when he was traded to the White Sox for Tony Bernazard. And uh, with the White Sox, he helped uh, Chicago in their run for the American League West to flag that year. But while he was a Mariner, oh, how he could play. Jimbo into the wind and the redhead from darkness pitch and breaking ball. Swung on a ground ball toward the hole. A diving stop by Julio. He straightens up and throws him out. Oh, my. What a play by Julio Cruz. Who can forget the dazzling fielding plays? A Mariner record 11 putouts in an extra inning game in 1981. Also turned a club record five double plays in that game. And it was the cruiser who gobbled up the final out in Gaylord Perry's 300th win. The 2-1 pitch to Randolph. Swung on, ground ball to Cruz. This should do it. He's got it. It's over. Gaylord has 300. But most of all, it was his base running for which we will remember Julio. The first thing I did was... I gave the sign to the to the hitter. Uh, okay, what pitch I'm going to go on? He looked down, and then my my key was I would stick my finger in my earlobe. In the you know how the helmet has a, the ear protector. I would stick my finger in there, and that means I'm going to go on that pitch. That means I got my my I got my key already. Yeah. I wish I knew that broadcast. Oh yeah, would have been, been cool. Oh, the cruiser's going on this pitch. Yeah. Oh boy, look how smart I am. Yeah. Uh, and then I look at, at at the pitcher as a whole, and by looking at him as a whole, you can break down. Does he bend his knees before he goes home? Does he does he open shoulder? Does he close it before he goes home? Every pitch has a key and if they don't have a key you just key off their left leg as the right hander once that left leg comes up 
or buckles, and that's when you take off. You have to have three strides. This is this is from Lou Brock to the cruiser. You have to have you have to have you have to be in your third stride before the ball actually leaves the pitcher's hand. Yeah. You have to be in your third stride. You have to get to your third stride as quick as possible. And then you have to hold it. It takes 11 strides, Rick. 11 strides. When you take a 10-foot lead, it takes 11 strides and a slide to get to second base. It takes you three point. If you're a good base, a good base runner, fast. It takes you 3.1, 3.2 seconds to go from your lead to second base. It takes a pitcher. 1.4 to the catcher, and the catcher 2.0 to second base. So that's a 3.4. So if you're, if you're a base runner and you're going in there at 3.1, 3.2, you have a pretty good chance of beating that throwout. But the key is to get a good, good, good jump, and the, also the other key is to get into your top step as quick as possible. Yeah, yeah. He's in the American League record book for his 32 consecutive steals from September of 1980 until June the 11th of 81. Number 32 came in a game against the Orioles. It's on the way to Baki as Cruz goes. It's outside. Throw through to second is not in time. He's tied the record. Julio Cruz has stolen 32 in a row. And it wasn't that bad a throw by Dempsey as Cruz went in head first and may have hit Cruz or the bag and gone into center field. And Mr. Julio Cruz has tied the all-time American League record 32 consecutive steals and 28 straight this year. My, oh, my. Well, Julio went on to steal 343 bases in his career and had a season high of 59 in 1978. That was a Mariners Club record until Harold Reynolds swiped a league-leading 60 in 1987. Julio Cruz truly provided us with many Mariner memories. The one strike pitch to Julio. Swung on and belted. Deep to left. Kemp to the warning track, to the wall, and will power Holy old Cruz, boy, he muscled up that time. He got that ball into the equipment entrance and exit way in deep left center field. The pitch on the way. Swung on a ground ball, punch toward the hole on the left side. A great diving stop by Cruz. He straightens up, throws, and gets him. My, oh, my. What a play by Julio. We will sure miss our good friend, Julio Cruz. You know, Julio, an original Mariner, which is just absolutely amazing. And this is something that will be missed and something that wasn't seen. Uh, He did so much for baseball at all levels, youth baseball, coached high school baseball, and then worked with Mariners. Nothing formal, but those little conversations that he would have with players down on the field, especially about base running and base stealing. He would have talks and and interject a little bit here and and also encouragement for all the guys down there. Just a wonderful presence, and he is going to be so, so missed. Yeah, for fans like me, wasn't around to watch Julio Cruz. You know, we know that there's so many people who were involved in a baseball organization from top to bottom, staff, unofficial, alumni. Um, It's interesting for me to see some of the players current and and some of the people in the organization come out and talk about the stories that they have with members when they pass away like Julio Cruz, which, you know, is devastating for everyone involved, especially for his family. But um, to see the impact that he has, like you're mentioning, 
and and to know that it's more than just on the field right there's there's a connection there's a there's a togetherness that you feel as being a part of the organization and and a legacy that you feel and you see that impact played out mm-hmm. as more players come through it it's it's really cool to see yeah and it just uh, so highly regarded and loved and will be so so missed Julio we love you and just love out to his family as well before we went to break Glad we're getting to this and not forgetting about it because it was an encouraging moment and surprising moment in the talks that happened yesterday. And it's something that we've talked about on this show is that there was some concern that a lot of things, on-field things, would get missed in this CBA because there was so much focus, and rightly so, on the economic side of things. And lo and behold, there was a tweet last night that they were discussing the shift. The shift made it into the talks. Yeah, and that it, I was surprised by that too. I really wasn't sure um, how many details they would really get into in on-the-field play, but it'd be a massive change. It would be a landmark decision to do something like banning the shifts. I, I'm not really sure how I would feel about it. They don't even have to ban it. I mean, they could put restrictions on the shift. That's a possibility as well. But the fact that they got that deep on things, again, was kind of a encouraging sign last night. And hopefully that is something that will be revisited. I think um, we might be in different camps if you've got questions about it. I, You know, one of the most common things I hear is when you bring that up is, well, just tell them to hit the other way. Apparently that's hard. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you right now, nobody wants to go up there and flail away and struggle the way that they are struggling in this situation. That should be a clue that this is difficult. It is not just a matter of just doing it. You know, for me, I would like to see more action in the game. This is one way to see more action in the game. I'm absolutely with you that there needs to be more action. And some of my favorite players of all time are guys who spray the ball all over the field and guys who... I mean, my favorite baseball player of all time is Edgar Martinez. Edgar Martinez is not great because he was a home run masher, though he hit home runs. He's the doubles king. <laughs> he hit the ball hard, and he hit it everywhere. And I love that. To me, that's a sign of mastery, of mastering your craft, of being in control of where you are. And, and that's the Mariners' philosophy right now, as they be very clear that they want to control the zone. So I would love to see more people who are in that situation, more Bo Bichette's of the world that are coming up with the Blue Jays who are focused on spraying that around. And if the shift helps that and encourages more players to go that way, I think it's super positive. Yeah, so that's simple. We just need more Hall of Famers. That's all we need. <laughs> all we need is more Hall of Fame hitters. But, I mean, to your point, it would probably benefit. It's just hard for me to say that you should change a strategy when – there might be another strategy to emerge. I mean, 25 years oh, ago. Oh, come the, on. No, no, no. You're ago, going the wrong. No, wasn't... okay, stop it. <laughs> Hall of Famers. What What are we missing here? That's not strategy. Well, I'm saying that. It's not that easy. Putting the shift in place was not something everyone was doing 25 years ago. It was a new strategy that people were Still haven't figured it out, so maybe it's not that easy. And so now, is it just a matter of time before there is another strategy that that emerges? Because the current hitting strategy is to ignore it and hit the ball over the fence. That's the strategy. But is there another one to come over time? No, it was the strategy necessitated. It wasn't just because we're just going to try and hit it over the fence. I mean, it's not like paychecks and careers aren't dependent on getting on base, they're not not going the other way because they've decided not to. It'd be hard to argue that players aren't trying to hit the ball farther than they were before. I think there is probably over time 
something um, that will change and over develop. Over time. How long has it been? You just said it's been 25 years. It hasn't been that well, the long. The shift but... has been, what, seven years? That's and not they that can't long figure it out? Are you serious? If, the, if, if hitters get good enough about hitters, hitting the ball James, over the fence. James, hitters are not stupid. Okay? <laughs> no, they're not. You are saying they are stupid no, because they no, haven't no. been able to figure out, oh, you know what? I've been trying to hit the ball over the fence for the last seven years. That's not working. Maybe I should try something else. Hey, that guy's not in baseball anymore, if that was it. Well, that's and they the realize that a lot quicker. So they do try and go the other way. But it is not that easy. If it not becomes every- more successful to hit the ball over the fence, if they get so but good at that. everybody can't do that, yet everybody can't go the other way either. Right, absolutely. So when that tip, that scale tips and pitchers are now trying to to generate more ground ball contact. I'm saying there's time. I'm a time guy in baseball. Things can change over time. Absolutely. And I'm a realist, and I give hitters <laughs> a lot more credit than that, and I also give the pitchers a lot of credit, too. That has certainly played into this. I think we are to the point where some help is needed. Nobody wants to go up there and hit into a double play every time. Nope. You know who does want to hit the ball over the fence? Who's that? Dave Wyman. Woo. We are going to learn a little bit more about Dave Wyman's baseball coming up next. The Hot Stove Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. Shannon Dreyer, James Osborne, I don't think we're talking anymore. <laughs> I don't need to talk anymore. We have plenty to say. I'm mad at you. <laughs> how can you be mad at me? Never mind baseball and the Players Union right now. I just I cannot accept how you look at the shift. That's that is, all there is to it. So, nope, nope, putting the hand up here. <laughs> not, not talking to you anymore. Fortunately, there's somebody else we can talk to. Dave Wyman from Wyman and Bob, which can be heard from 2 to 7, Monday through Friday here on 710 ESPN Seattle, joins us as we continue to get to know those who talk baseball during the day on our flagship station. Dave, welcome in. Those who talk baseball that really shouldn't, and they're not qualified no, now to. Stop oh, I'm that. kidding. I'm kidding. Actually, the only reason it. we really have you, he actually chops all the wood for and wrestles the bears if they are out there for the hot stove. There you go. There you go. There's lots and, of bears in the hot stove. So. Well, it's a good reference to Keep their show. The hot stove you ever need going. any good bear wrestling talk, it's it's on that show. I, I, and it's not Bob who's wrestling them. Might give them a little jujitsu kick or something like that. Karate, actually, karate. I think is what it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's reel this back to baseball somehow. Dave, I, I just uh, so enjoy watching kind of the journey of football players getting to learn about baseball. And, yeah. and you were thrown into the fire. Yeah, I was. And, you know, I started off with uh, Kevin Calabro once a week and I would come on and, you know, we'd talk about football. But then when I got hired as a full-time host, it was during the football season, but then it dawned on me in like December. It's like, this is going to end here pretty soon and we have to start talking baseball. But, you know, I just try to stay in my lane, you know, and uh, talk about what I do know. But, you know, it's just uh, in the very beginning, um, what I did was I would <laughs> I would send pictures to Bob actually, where of me sitting on my bed and I'd have like a bowl of M and M's and potato chips and a notebook and a pen and I'd be in front of the game like basically tracking every pitch, you know, and just trying to you know get a feel for it and all the different you know different things that go along with you know what you should look out for. What are the things that are are relevant? The other thing too is. You know, and I'm kind of a stickler about this with football that people try to make, they use all these fancy terms that nobody understands what the hell it means. And, um, sorry, can I say that? You just, uh, whatever. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that, that bothers me because I think what you should do is bring the game to the audience. I worked hard to, to really try to understand baseball. And of course, <laughs> it's a constant journey. I'm right in that journey with football right now. I mean, you know, the second you think you know everything, 
you're you're dead basically. What are the commonalities that I mean? I I, I look at and and we saw this with Brock a long time ago, but I, I realized that he attacked things as an athlete. Yes, you played football, but you're both athletes. There's an athlete mindset. There are things that you understand and see that others don't automatically. Yeah, you know, I, I think um, the big difference, though, baseball and football is uh, the mentality. I'm really impressed by that because it takes a lot of focus for a really long time and a lot of games. We were uh, we were talking to somebody. I can't remember if it was John Paul Morosi, but I think it was. And he was talking about just learning how to stand out there in the field for a long time. And then all of a sudden the ball gets hit towards you and you have to be in your best peak, you know, availability right in that moment whereas you know there are no periods like that in a football game you know i mean you're constantly going so just the appreciation for that and then um yeah just uh, the grind that it takes and more a mental sport than any sport i think baseball is that you have to be very mentally tough emotionally tough just because it's such a long season you know you get down there are slumps i mean i had a slump in football uh, it was my second year in the league i was a starter i was missing tackles but it lasted for like two or three games you know and you're able to to you know, it takes a while to get to the next one. And that's the good thing about baseball is that you can erase your memory pretty quickly. But, you know, uh, it, you see guys that it takes a long time, you know, like Kelnick this year, you know, he gets sent down, he was struggling and then it, you know, it all worked out for him in the end. I love seeing that because, and I'm really excited to see Logan Gilbert and, and Kelnick, uh, mostly because my biggest transition, it's sort of, a you know, gotcha moment or high, the you know the light bulb goes off in my head was my second year coming back into the league. My rookie year, I was totally lost, and I came back my second year, and it was like everything slowed down. It's like okay, I can play this game now, and I feel like you know that's kind of what's going on with those guys, and that's the look I see on their faces. Like when Gilbert had that slump in August, Kelnick he snapped out of it at the end of the year, but you just you see the look on their face, like I know how to play this game. And for some reason, it eludes me right now. So that that is uh, something I guess I, I can certainly relate to. Uh, one of the things that you have gotten to do, which has been pretty neat, you are a show that has a weekly show at the ballpark when yeah. allowed, and hopefully we'll get to see that again. Some of your experiences, and, and you get to sit down, not just on the phone, but face-to-face with some of these guys. Well, what's going to jump out at some of the conversations that you've had? Well, getting uh, shelled during batting practice is, because uh, that's in left field, Edgar's is, and we have a net up there, but a couple of times the balls get through there. They come in hot. Yeah. And I remember one time having a conversation uh, with Scott Service over the fence there about his Green Bay Packers. You know, we were talking football. But um, yeah, no, it's been really cool. And mostly, you know, to get those guys out there. I remember um, Nelson Cruz, I think, is maybe one of the best people in any sport that I've ever been around. Um, But he hung around and answered a question that Danny O'Neill had. And I look over and he has his hand on Danny's shoulder and he's looking him in the eye and just taking in every single thing. I mean, that guy was always available no matter what you asked him. He would look you right in the eye and it was like you were the only person in the world. Mm. And uh, that's, you know, getting to know uh, guys like that. Uh, Felix, same thing. I remember him showing us uh, his grip on the ball when he throws certain, you know, pitches and things like that. Just um, shed long kind of stands out too, unfortunately. Not with the Mariners anymore, but he was a guy that hung around during the break afterwards and talked to us, you know. So just getting to know those guys in that setting, that's what's uh, that's what's really been cool. And especially, it's kind of interesting because it's right before the game. You could never talk to a football player, you know, 
three hours, two hours before a game. And the baseball players, you know, it's it's just such a different uh, world. Really, really interesting, the, the mentality and the difference between the two sports. What was last season like for you? I mean, I've been out of the ballpark a handful of times. I felt like I saw you almost every time I was uh, there. But what was that like for you going through that season, hosting the show, being at the ballpark, being a fan? Well, I just, I didn't know. Bob kind of got the whole thing going. I'm like, are we going to talk Mariners like most of the time? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And I was like, it's a little skeptical, but man, it was a great call because I mean, we, uh, and it really, it was, it was Bob, like we got to get excited about this team. We text each other during the games and things like that. And so, and it got to the point where when they had a day game or they were off, you were upset. You know, it was like, well, there's no baseball. We got to, you know, just every single game was, was so important and so fun to watch. And then at the end, watching these young guys develop a guy like Mitch Haniger, which I remember Mitch and I brought this up to him. We talked to him the other day. His first appearance in Seattle was at that press conference, Shannon. I think you, you were there. You might have been there, James, but, um, I got a chance to sit down and talk to him and he was a guy that, you know, wide eyed and like wondering if he's going to have a career. Was that 2016? Maybe or 17, but anyway, you know, now we talk to him and he's such a huge part of this team. And yeah, seeing uh, guys develop and go through that when he was kind of an unknown in that trade with the Diamondbacks. And now he's one of the most beloved athletes in Seattle. If your path as a kid had taken a different turn and you had become a potential MLB or or an MLB or what would Dave Wyman, the baseball player, be? (laughs) <laughs> well, I liked, I've always could run actually. So I'd probably be an outfielder, but, um, I just don't have the mentality for baseball, just like golf. You know, the guys that can hit an object with a stick, the hockey players, the golfers, you know, I, that I just don't have that mentality, but, um, yeah, I'd probably be an outfielder and maybe want to plow somebody at the plate. <laughs> I was going to say, like, the physicality of you, I could just see you as, like, a Salvador Perez huge oh. catcher behind there, just <laughs> calling shots, yeah. just being the, the enforcer back there. I could see that. Yeah, well, and I heard stories about Zanino and how he was such a sweetheart of a guy, nice guy, but that he had a temper and <laughs> he had he could lose it. I heard something about a bat rack being destroyed into possibly, 100 pieces. Possibly. Uh, so, uh, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe that kind of player. <laughs> Fun. Dave, thank yeah, you. Thank you. Where are you picking Dave? If you're picking teams, where are you picking him? <sighs> Baseball. Three-inning game or seven-inning game? <laughs> three-inning game, he's in my top three. Seven-inning game, maybe a little lower down the list. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> a lot of fun to hear about Dave Wyman's baseball there. And, uh, hey, you know, we did our best. It's been a rough day. There's no question about it. Uh, we'll get up and we'll try again tomorrow. Hopefully baseball is not too far on the horizon. And, you know, the encouraging news there is both sides have said that they are willing to come right back to the table, although it doesn't sound like they're going to meet until Thursday at the earliest, which honestly, I think sometimes you need to walk away. Take a breath, take a beat, you know, reassemble yourselves. And I think for the owners, take a real hard look at how you want to handle the CBT, the competitive balance tax, and, and make sure that you want to be hard line on that because it seems like that's the last thing we really got to figure out in order to get baseball back. It really does. You look at it and it just doesn't seem like it should be that far away. But, uh, you know, that's where we are right now. And hopefully a week from now, that's not where we are. Until then, want to thank Bryce Miller for joining us, Gary Hill, giving us a wonderful piece about the great Julio Cruz, uh, Dave Wyman, of course. <laughs> what can you say? Legend. Legend. Three inning game. Howdy, Steam. Okay, keep the faith and we'll talk to you soon.